Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. Part of me at times was thinking this will be my last multi-day race. But that seed was planted almost immediately, whether it's going to be on those mountains or something. This year, I was going to find some other thing to do to, to kind of find, find that level. And something keeps drawing me back towards that. And I think as long as I can keep up with it, I'm going to kind of keep pushing myself. Okay. You people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Welcome to The Dark Zone, Episode 60. This is your host, Brian Gatens. Thank you to Travis Sindel and Mike Cheney from Adventure Enablers for joining us for today's show. They speak to their AR racing careers, but also to their outside adventures and their first leap into race directing at the Almost Heaven Adventure Race coming this October. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank VJ Shoes for sponsoring the show. VJs have made quite the splash on the AR scene thanks to their grippy soles, lightweight, and how quickly they drain water. If you're in the market for a new way to treat your feet right, check them out. Listeners of The Dark Zone can go to vjshoesusa.com slash the-dark-zone and enter the code DARKZONE20, all one word, for a $20 discount on your purchase. Thank you to VJ for supporting Adventure Racing, and that link will be in the show notes. I'd like to also mention The Dark Zone's charity partner, Send Athletics. We are proud to support their mission to empower young women through mountaineering-based leadership training and community service. All of our listeners are encouraged to visit ascendathletics.org to learn more about Ascend and their work in helping to develop leadership and resiliency in young women in Pakistan and Afghanistan through fitness, mental health, community service, and mountaineering. Please note that Ascend pays nothing for this mention. We just love the work that they do and are happy to spread the word. Be sure to check out their website for some upcoming activities that anyone can get involved in. Okay, that's enough for me. Thanks for being here and enjoy Travis and Mike. Today we are joined by two members, two members of the Adventure Enablers race team. Travis Sindel and Mike Cheney are kind enough to join the podcast. They are adventure racers. They have stories they want to tell tonight. They're aspiring race directors. We'll all about their race. They're also, like many adventure racers, they need to balance the demands of work and family and home and all of that with their training. They're kind enough to give their time to the dark zone. I want to thank both you, Travis and Mike, for being here today. Fantastic that you were able to join us. Thanks a lot for being here. I'm going to toss the first question over to Travis. Travis, talk a bit to our listeners. Talk about your experience, adventure racing. How did you get into it? Where did it start? Yeah, sure thing. So Mike and I, I think at this time, about 10, 15 years ago, we're both, we'd met doing triathlon and we're friends and we're busy. We had done some Ironman and Olympic triathlons around here. And there's a big club in DC. We were all part of that in a big social group. And I was, I had also started mountain biking about the same time with my good friend, Jesse Tubb, who's a mid-Atlantic all-star racer. And I came across this thing and said, you know, here's this race. It's a 24 hour thing out in Shenandoah called the Shenandoah Epic. You want to do it? 
And Jesse, like he always does, is all in right away. So we decide, all right, let's sign up. It should be a one-time fun adventure. We'll stay up all night in the mountains and have a blast. So we kind of looked into it and realized we were in a little bit over our heads. So we went to one orienteering meet, which was, I think, one of our smarter moves of the whole thing. But we did at least orienteer once. We show up to the race. They're handing out the maps the night before. And everybody's huddled over maps, looking at them and like looking over this sheet of paper. And I had no idea what's going on. I had to ask people what's going on. They're marking it up. It's like, <laughs> how do you even know? What are you marking? How do you even know what you're supposed to mark here? And somebody said, oh, well, these are the UTMs. And I was like, well, what are UTMs? And <laughs> so somebody kind of explains it. Uh, Jesse's in the Army, and he had supposedly learned how to plot UTMs at Army basic training, which at this point was you know, quite a ways back. And But fortunately, he did remember, and we got started, and everything was going pretty well. And that first race, we started out, we were both in great shape. We were coming from Ironman. We could run. We could bike forever. That part was, it, uh, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but that part was easy. And so we were in great shape several hours in. And I remember being right with the team that would go on to win. And we were looking for a point. And I believe it was checkpoint J. I think I'm never going to forget that it's J. And it was a re-entrant. And Jesse decides at this point, being a competitive guy he is, Let's pass this team. They don't know what they're doing. And right as we pass them, this team goes off the trail, drops their bikes, runs up a re-entrant. And the clue for this checkpoint was re-entrant. But the problem was, Jesse and I didn't know what a re-entrant was. So, <laughs> so we cruise on by. Two hours later, we're back at the same re-entrant. And we realized that that team wasn't, in fact, lost. They knew what they were doing. And we're now two hours ahead of us. So the rest of the, the race kind of went on about like that, uh, learning some lessons along the way including in a transition area, I had forgotten to pick up a food bag. So in the middle of the night, I'm out of food. And, uh, you know, just kind of hijinks like that ensued all night long. And it starts getting cold. It starts raining. It's about three o'clock in the morning. We've got an hour to go to bike back to the finish. And we decided, I had fun. Did you have fun? Jesse says, yeah, I had fun. Let's just, let's call it a night and let's finish. And that was awesome. So we go back to our car. I think we took a nap somehow, go home. And I realized when I got home on Facebook that we'd gotten on the, the uh, two-man podium. And if we had just stayed out there for one or two more points, we would have won the two-man group and done re really well overall. So we kind of thought, well, okay, this won't be a one-time thing. Let's make it a two-time thing. So we went back to the Epic the following year. And our goal then was to just stay out there. And if nothing else, we wanted to stay out until the sun comes up. And so we set the goal, stay up till sunrise. Then we make decisions and we ended up, we went back, we had orienteered more. We understood the sport more. I uh, did great. And uh, then we were hooked ever since. And I think we left that race and went and signed up for Cowboy Tough the following year for the, uh, the, the old race. It was in the four day race. It was in Wyoming. For the sake of the newer racer, who's big on the darks. And we have to, we have to back up a little bit here. UTM. Explain what a UTM is for somebody at home looking at their podcast player, not knowing what it is. So the UTMs are coordinates that you can use to map in the, to mark a checkpoint in a specific location inside a quadrant on your map. So they'll right. give you, they'll give you the coordinates and maybe a clue like that's for ease, say high point. And so you can see on the top of lines, a pretty clear high point, and you can kind of line that up with the coordinates that you think you're, you're, plotting on there and then you, that's your location and it seems like lately the races i've done we're not plotting 
UTM coordinates as much as possible. I mean, it's a skill. It's good to know, I think now, but it always, when you're asked to do it mid race or something, there's always a problem. It's raining and your pens don't work or the map gets marked through, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I, there's, there's plenty of challenges in adventure racing. Why the, you know, why add one more, but it's, it is a skill that you might be asked to do. And it's good to at least have an understanding. I agree with that. I think for, for the newer racer out there, first off, race directors will tell you usually in advance of a race if UTM plotting is needed or not because you have to use a special tool. So you're, you're spot on about that. But for the newer racer out there, it's good to explain I, uh, a common piece of advice I get on the dark zone is we talk about these terms like we all know them. And that's a good thing. I'm glad you brought that up early. And 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 if you're out there, if you don't know what a reentrant is, we're not going to tell you. You have to do a little Google search, <laughs> look it up. And the best way to find out what a reentrant is is to find your local orienteering club and go with them and then practice some, get a map in your hands, and then you learn exactly what your entrance is. Thank you, Travis, for that intro. Mike, how about you? How did you get into adventure racing? Um, yeah, Travis hit on um, uh, a lot of it. So we, we kind of had some shared experiences uh, hanging out and uh, kind of frequenting the same social circles in the in the triathlon club. Um, I lagged his entry into adventure racing by a couple of years. Um, I had... Uh, was expecting a child was just finishing up, uh, an Ironman, um, during my wife's pregnancy and kind of was looking ahead and, and, and thinking, you know, um, probably unlikely these, these 20 hour training weeks are going to continue very much longer. So, um, and then, you know, Travis was talking about the, these, these cool things. He was kind of giving me the, the sell on that. And, um, so I had, I had been doing a little bit of mountain biking, um, and, you know, started uh, poking around with, uh, some of the orienteering club, just kind of, you know, kind of trying to get acclimated a little bit to some of those skills and, and, you know, similar to your, one of your previous guests, Mary talking about, um, how she raced individually a lot at, at when she started, I, I kind of took that same path. I, I felt like I wanted to kind of e experience all of it and, and I guess what to me was kind of a, a more purist sense, just kind of, you know, ha having myself to rely upon, um, having to know how to, how to navigate for myself, um, you know, manage my nutrition, everything else. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, 2016, I, I finally pulled the trigger and, and did Shenandoah Epic there. Um, and yeah, I guess, the, you know, as you say, the rest was history, um, really had a great time. And, uh, did did well um like unexpectedly so so you know it just kind of validated that uh it's like oh this is this is something great i can compete um and it, it you know not not killing myself uh from a training perspective um so it seemed to hit a sweet spot for that um uh, that point in my life and it's you know you bring up that good point a, a common model when people come into adventure racing is that they come in via another endurance sport, right? Marathoning, triathlon, Ironman, and they show up at the base level of fitness. And then they obviously have to learn the technical skills, right? The orienteering, UTM, re-entrance, things like that. But I do like the idea that you you talked about how when it comes to adventure racing, the, the, the level of fitness that you need to do well in the sport initially is not necessarily the most important part of the, of the process, right? And, and I'm curious about that. And either of you two could answer. I'm curious about you took your endurance triathlon capacity. Did you overestimate your ability to succeed adventure racing? Like were the other skill sets 
just as hard to learn as your fitness or did you ease into the the navigation and the food and all of that? Like, what did you find the, the biggest benefit from your triathlon training? The first thing that comes to mind wasn't really a benefit from coming from triathlon. That that first race, what I didn't understand is that the race director couldn't tell me what the course was going to be, what the distance we were gonna, what distances were gonna be, the exact format. Because when you come from swim, bike, run, it's swim, bike, run. Every course is laid out to be the same, with then some general characteristic differences. You know, one course is hilly, one course is flat. And I just couldn't understand the flexibility that was required and then sort of the creativity that that, that brings about. And that is one of the things that I really liked, I think. I found, oh, geez, anybody can swim, you know, 2.4 miles and then go do this thing. And not to take Ironman for granted, I, I certainly probably couldn't do that now, but uh, it it's just different, you know? And then, so then it becomes kind of a mental toughness thing. Then are you willing to take the adversity, the unknown and these things and keep going? And I think those things that I didn't get from triathlon is what, what really kind of fed me for adventure racing. And I love, I don't think, I don't like to go back and do the same course twice. I want a different experience. Even if it's a a race out in Shenandoah, you're going to get two totally different experiences. And I think, that sort of change in, in attitude and experience is what I'm looking for and what kind of keeps me going in the sport. Yeah, I think you're spot on about that. I think that people who, who come out of the endurance sports world, and let's be honest, triathlon and uh, marathoning, hard, legitimately difficult sports, right? We never want to, we're all in the same family, right? We never want to talk down to those sports. But I do agree with you that adventure racers very often talk about that they were getting tired of make a left at the cone, run up that hill, go down that hill, run straight here. And then embracing that unknown and that uncertainty about the course and everything else that goes with that, right? The food, the gear, all of that really appeals to to the adventure racer. Is when you made that jump from endurance sports into adventure racing, was it what you thought it was going to be? How how thrown off were you when you when you made the transition into the sport? Well, um, you know, I, <laughs> I guess part of my nature is that I, I'm not uh, not uh, super comfortable. Th- risk taker. Um, and you know, I'll say that and my wife would be like, well, you know, you, that's coming from the perspective of, um, you know, work or, or something else. Like she, she'll remind me, you know, I do stuff like, you know, I've been skydiving and I'll, and like with Travis and a bunch of other guys, you know, we just did a, uh, just a, a, a one shot bike ride from Pittsburgh to DC and, you know, so just kind of rip off stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, by, by most normal standards, uh, you know, do take some risks. Um, I, you know, in my mind, I would consider them calculated risks and, and, you know, whether it's the, the confidence in my training or myself or my friends, um, you know, feel like it's a low risk proposition, What provided the initial challenge for me rather was that, uh, orienteering and, and adventure racing were just a lot more cerebral, um, you know, I, there, you can do a 5k, you can do a marathon, a set course. And, you know, it's just how fast can you do this known quantity? Um, whereas, you know, in obviously in the athletic event itself, it's, you have to think and, and kind of work through, um, various, very like different variables that are, you're presented with on the course. But I, I feel like 
getting out of my comfort zone a bit and like learning or kind of embracing the challenge of having to think on my feet more, having to, um, you know, kind of take these different variables into account was, was an opportunity for personal growth as well. So, um, you know, it just, it provided me an opportunity to, to kind of push my limits. Um, you know, I mentioned, mentioned earlier, starting with kind of individual races. I think that was just, you know, kind of a transition for me to kind of grow past the individualistic nature of triathlon and some of that other stuff. And, and, you know, just that that's what I was comfortable with at that point. And, you know, um, and it has opened me up to, to racing primarily with teams now. So, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's been an evolution and, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's allowed me to have a, a more balanced kind of, uh, athletic life. And, uh, I, th- I think it's contributed, uh, positively, uh, in my, my personal life as well. Yeah, the, you know, there's so much that you talked about, and we'll, we'll go back to the idea of risk. And you say it's really funny when you talk about it, right? Like the idea, like, well, you know, I I, I don't like to take risks, and people are kind of like, you you do what? Like you you ride a mountain bike at night in the dark with a headlamp up these high cliffs, down these rocky paths, and you take a you go off into the woods by yourself to figure things out, and you're not a risk taker. But I agree with you; it's pretty funny how there's the adventure racers connection to the idea of risk and what is dangerous, not dangerous, is far different from the rest of society, right? And I think there's a whole doctoral thesis waiting to be written about that, right? Like how adventure racers see the world. And I do agree with you that the, the more cerebral nature of the sport is what brings is what brings a lot of people into the sport, right? So you you came into the sport and you clearly enjoyed the two of you what you were doing. Years have passed now. Why have you stayed with the sport? Because there are people who sample a sport and then they end, end up leaving. Why did it, why are you two you not only are you sticking with it, but you're growing in it because you're, you're going to be race directors, which we'll get to in a little while. Clearly there's something about this sport that has kept you coming back for more. What do you think it is? I, I, there's a couple of things come to mind for me. Um, one is, you know, I, I'll, we'll enter an event and I'll see, you know, we'll lay out the plan and, you know, see how, when, when, you know, all the, all the hands are dealt, um, you know, on this, on the same you know, within the same bounds, how did, how do we perform as compared to, you know, the, 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 some of the, more, um, some of the other teams and, you know, it, it's, it provides me kind of an opportunity to, to recognize, you know, how much more growth I have, um, in, in various capacities, uh, or, or, uh, dimensions of, of the sport. Um, so, you know, that's part of it that, that I, there, there's always something to learn. There's always something to get better at. Um, and then also just it's it, part of it's, it, you know, kind of per, pursuit of the, uh, uh, a boogeyman, get the, the concept or prospect of this perfect race, like w- wanting to get the perfect race. So like I know intellectually it doesn't exist. There's always something that you can look back and, and second guess, but, um, you know, just kind of, really just catching light, you know, just the, the desire to catch lightning in a bottle and, and kind of be like, Oh man, that was just everything, everything, you know, it just went according to plan if, as much as that can exist in an in adventure race. But, um, so those, those are kind of the two things that keep me coming back. Travis, what do you think? What keeps you coming back? 
I agree with all those things that Mike said. And also in terms of the pursuit of the perfect race, when you're racing on a team, I might be having the perfect race, but Mike may not be or vice versa. And then you've got to figure out how to, if you're going to truly have the perfect race, how can you all, how can you overcome those things? So you're all having that perfect race, which is a challenge that is, uh, I think it's interesting and yeah, it's good for personal growth and personal relationships and, you know, evolving friendships and things like that, figuring and working together to do that. Um, but I think the sport is really a lot of contrived stress, you know, especially the longer you do, you get in these situations and at times it's just like, ah, this race is never going to end. And then you, you move, push on to the next leg and you get through that. And maybe you've gotten a bite to eat and had time for that to settle in. And now you think, Oh, I don't want this race to ever end, right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and you're out there. And I think also in terms of my daily life, I'm lucky that my life is really easy. I don't have a lot of personal challenges. My family right now, you know, everybody around me is happy and healthy and I hope it stays that way. But I, th I don't want to take that for granted and just kind of become sedentary. It's like, well, I've been gifted these sort of things, you know, a body that can keep up uh, lifestyle that can support it. So I want to go out and I want to find some challenges and I want to find difficulty and try to overcome it. And I'm not exactly sure why I, I think of it that way, but I just think, you know, things don't always come easy for everyone and you, you should just find a way to find something that's, that takes you out of your comfort zone and it's hard and you have to find a way to push through it. And in the end, the race ends and I go back and every, everything settles back into a routine and it doesn't take long. I thought for sure after endless mountains last year, that that would kind of be part of me at times was thinking this will be my last multi-day race, but that seed was planted almost immediately, whether it's going to be endless mountains or something so this year, I was going to find some other thing to do to, to kind of find, find that level. And something keeps drawing me back towards that. And I think as long as I can keep up with it, I'm going to kind of keep pushing myself just to see, like my, like Mike said, find that point, see how far you can go and, you know, see what challenges you can meet. Yeah. It's fat. You know, it, it, there's, there's so much here, so much that you guys are talking about makes sense. And first off, your line about contrived stress is uh, you're paraphrasing Grant Killian. When Grant Killian introduced uh, Untamed New England, he talked about how the, we, these were, these were contrived inconveniences, right? That you've, you've chosen to be here. You've chosen to take part in this and therefore you kind of lose the right to carry on about how challenging it is. Right. And Sarah Goldman, who was a, a guest in one of the earlier dark zones, one of the very first ones, she talked a lot about how she sees herself as, as having the gift of adventure racing that for some people, every day is an adventure race. And the fact that we're able to go choose and pick this, this stress into our lives. I also think you're spot on that there's something built into the sport and built into the sports participants that we go looking for difficulty, right? You could, you could choose to spend a weekend in relative comfort on your couch, whatever, whatever you want to do. And yet there's, there's a piece of us that goes out and, and kind of searches for that and, and looks for that. Let's make this thing more challenging. And I, and I wonder, um, and you talked a bit about your, your trip from Pittsburgh to DC. I definitely want to bring that up because I've done that same trip and it's nice to talk about it out loud and other people should try it. That there's something inside of us that, that pushes us to be more than we think we already are. And we like to test ourselves. And I think that's a big reason why you keep coming back to the sport and why a lot of folks keep returning to the sport. And, and last but not least, there's always that moment in a race where you absolutely will never, ever, ever do it again. And there's a moment in a race where you absolutely, absolutely can't wait to do it again. 
And when those two moments come together, it's a pretty powerful feeling for the, for the racers. You mentioned the idea of team before team, right? And the, the, the Mary Forster strategy where she raced solo for a long time and she built a skill set and then she dove into working with a team. Talk to us a bit either on teams that you've been on or teams that you've observed. Give us the highs and the lows. When a team is high functioning and they're doing well, what's taking place inside that team dynamic that they keep flowing smoothly across the course? And offer the reverse of that. When you've seen it fall apart inside of a team, either one that you're on or one that you've observed, what happens? Because teamwork is so new to so many newer racers because they've always done individual sports. What do you guys think? I'm lucky that for me, the team has always been friends, you know, and in many cases, very good friends. Uh, so that creates its own challenges, you know, when you are friends, because then, I mean, Mike and our teammate, Eric, that we race with a lot that you've seen around, uh, you know, we're just great friends, you know, we're, we're like family. So you bring that family baggage into races and that's, that's good and bad. There's a trust when you're friends and family, you bring that in, you, you kind of know what to expect and you know how everyone's going to respond most of the time. Uh, and then there's always, you know, when you're feeling down, then you've got some, you know, other baggage that you're, you're carrying around. And uh, it's, it's just a fun, to me, I feel like we keep coming back together and in the end, you know, it, you hug at the finish line and I don't think we have a lot of major drama on the race course, but when things do break down, I think it's just kind of maybe a lack of communication or a, lap, a lapse of considering actually. So Nathan's podcast, he mentioned something like, you know, you might be racing with somebody whose goals are different than yours. And you just all think the goals are the same and you don't, you don't realize it. And I may not realize that Mike's goals are different than mine. Uh, and with that experience of, of racing over the years, you learn, you know, where you're meeting in the middle. And, uh, but as, as you get to know people, it just, it can be challenging if you don't communicate those things up front. And I think for new racers, especially if you're, if you're nervous about a 24 hour race, it's good to just get together and talk about your goals in the first place. You know, what do, do you plan to be on the podium or do you plan to do all the mandatory points and then whatever sounds fun after that? And do you align and make sure you align ahead of time. And this is a thing that we get from Eric. Eric always says, let's just work it as much out ahead of time as we can so that when we're in this stressful situation, we're not, wasting time talking about it or maybe you know more emotional than we would be talking about it beforehand you know that kind of thing uh i just think communication along the way or even ego kind of comes into it too i'm I'm kind of starting to go off the rails here but everybody brings their own personal ego to a race and if i'm starting to bonk and slowing down i may not want to communicate that to everybody else because i think oh they're going to be mad if I need to slow down and start eating, but really, if you don't communicate that up front, 30 minutes later, you're going to be sitting on the side of the road with them pumping a five hour energy and a bunch of gels down your throat and trying to, to bring you back to some sort of, uh, forward moving being again. So, uh, communication is really critical across the board. 
I, I think you, you, you gave a great piece of advice there for people who are newer racing and, and getting to it is before the race. And hopefully when you're well rested and well fed before the race, you have a conversation among the group. Well, what do we all want to bring out of this race? Right. And, and I think that the reason why that's important is when you're in a high stress situation, when you're, you know, you're, you're hungry and you're tired and you're wet and you're cold, there is not the time to say, but I really wanted to do this. Like, I don't want, I want to race for 24 hours. I don't want to go back. And I've, I've seen that dynamic on teams where halfway through a race, the teams are going in different directions because some people thought this is where we want to go in terms of the race experience. People thought the other on a trail, in the rain with a map is not the time to work through that, that group <laughs> dynamic to do it well in advance Absolutely. of the race. I, I think that's your, your spot on there. And also the idea of being verbal, right? Saying out loud to your, your teammates, listen, I, I, we got to back it down a bit. I got to put something in me. I got to catch my breath because I'm starting to come apart a little bit here and good teammates will respond to that. I've had that experience where I've been on the, on the asking end where I said to my teammates, we have to like back this down a little bit. And I've been on the receiving end where teammates said that to me. So you're, you're spot on. Mike, how about you? Um, Travis did a great job answering when it goes well for a team. You might need to talk about when it's falling apart for a team. Unfortunately, I, you know the the majority of my experience on a team is is with Travis. So I'm, I'm glad he. Uh, <laughs> you, you want me to tune he, out he, here for yeah, a couple yeah, minutes? Yeah, and, yeah. And okay. I, I Travis, appreciate being on the show, Travis. Have a good night now. Thanks. All right, Mike, let it all out, Mike. Safe right, space. Well, this is going to be tough, but here we go. Um, <laughs> no, I. I you know, it's it's kind of one of those things where I, I've I've in, in speaking, uh, you know, to our to our comrades in in the races, uh, heard heard tell of of kind of bad dynamics, and you know, if, as as a matter of hearsay, what I understand a lot of the issues are, you know, you can you can convene a team of of exceptional athletes, but. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily take into account the, the personalities and, um, again, the expectations kind of that, that Travis touched on. So, um, you know, it, it, people, if you don't know the, the motivations of, of folks, then it's it can be difficult to kind of manage um, reactions and, and, and interpersonal communication when, when things go south. Um, which, you know, something inevitably will. Um, I, speaking to expectations for a little bit, so, you know, uh, and, and Travis, I hope you don't mind me uh, bringing this up, but last year at, at Endless, you know, the what what Travis and Eric and I talked about going in was, you know, to have fun. Um, and I think everyone who's, who's listening to this kind of understands the concept of, Type one fun, type two fun. Right. Uh, but even in that, in the, <laughs> what I learned after that race is, is even within that kind of type two fun category, there's there's a spectrum. Um, because we we got to a point um, where I think we were a little bit behind on on, on our on our projection, and um, I was I was navigating, and, and Travis suggested a route change, and my 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 reaction was uh the now that i think about it was 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 kind of probably kind of bru uh brusque or sorry brusque and and abrupt and that wasn't my intent uh, my intent was all right we, we want to change the plan that's fine let me just let's let me look at the map how we how can we get us there and um but i i felt it was really important uh after this to um try and clear the air and so Travis and I had just a short conversation and, and, you know, I, 
my intent was to convey, you know, I, you know, this is, it's fine. We changed the plan. Like I, um, I, I, I'm sorry I was short, but you know, the idea was just, let's, let's get, let's get us going in, in, in the right direction. Um, or in this direction as, as quickly as we can. But I, I understood at that point that, um, you know, my fun is, is maybe kind of a little more on the pushing, pushing the limit, um, as, as, as long as possible. And, um, and, and that may not align a hundred percent with, with his or, or Eric's, um, definition of fun you know obviously we don't we don't want to get to the finish line and, and, and hate each other it's the last thing any of us would want um so it does just kind of take some management of, of expectations and um uh, another thing is and it kind of speaks to some of the some of the personal growth that i've i've gained through through racing um i don't know for the vast majority of my life i've i've avoided vulnerability and um, I just, for, for whatever reason, it's just, it's just not something I've ever felt comfortable with. It, it, it like, so I haven't, you know, it's been reluctant to, to share personal items, pers personal details, whatever. But, you know, I've, I feel like I've, I'm opening up and, and, and that I, I think is real important in, in a team capacity as well. You need to be able to feel vulnerable and share if, if the pace is too fast, if, uh, you need to slow down if you need to, if you need to take a break, um, you know, the, it's, it's kind of eschewing some of that ego and, and, um, you know, thinking of, of the team, you know, we're, if, if everything goes sideways because either I didn't share something and I blew up, then, you know, the, the, the negative effect of that is going to be much more severe than if we just, take a break or we, we slow down a, a couple miles per hour and, and kind of roll into the next, uh, transition area. So, um, yeah. And then I guess one, one practical tip is, or what works well for us is just, uh, uh, everyone has a job. Um, you know, uh, typically I've been the navigator on our, on our team. Um, at least it's the most recent iteration with, with Travis and Eric, uh, but, you know, we also have a, a leader, um, you know, somebody's responsible for, for timing. Um, but we also have kind of, just because I, during the race, I'm serving the role as, as what I would say is just the primary navigator. I'm still soliciting feedback from, from Travis and Eric, um, because you know, I certainly not without error. Um, so I, I think be, that that's helped me to be more, more open to feedback as well there. Um, but, uh, I don't know, th those are some of the things I think that, you know, we've collectively done well. Adventure racing is a study in human nature, right. And how and humans interact with each other under stressful situations. And there's definitely something that's built inside a lot of our culture where the idea of asking for help is a division of weakness, right? That if I, if I say to you, I need your assistance here, you're basically saying I'm not good enough and I can't stack up. And th there's some sort of weird, cultural dynamic that we feel as if we're trading away part of who we are if we ask for help. And the good news is, is that adventure racing, if you, if you race long enough and you race hard enough, that will be beaten out of you, right? You will learn that the 
that not asking for help is far more detrimental to the team than asking for help. Situation last year, I had a chance to race in Scotland. We were high up in Ben Nevis. We're coming across this really, really technical night climbing section up and over rocks. And I said to my three teammates, I said, I said, can someone go with me on this? Like we were up really high. We had to walk around a lot of rocks and they were moving at a faster pace. And I was getting left behind by them because they were just faster than me. And I was getting rattled because of the height. I said, can I help you? The three teammates backed it down. We had a great time getting across that across that section and the world moved on. Rather than me in the back by myself, grumbling, carrying on, they're going too fast. Why are they leaving me? I verbalized what I needed out loud. And I think that the two of you have talked a lot about that. And that's a really good thing for the newer racer to hear about is the idea that if you're in a team dynamic and if things are starting to come apart a little bit, to say something to somebody. Don't just sit back there and just grouse and grumble because you fall apart. And very often we both realize that those challenges are solved by back down the pace, take some food, take some water, and you rally. You know, really good piece of advice I got uh, one time during a race from a much more seasoned racer. She said to me that no matter how you feel, it's going to pass. If you feel great, it's going to pass. If you feel crummy, it's going to pass. The trick is to recognize that the circle is going to come back around again. So I, I appreciate you sharing that with with our our newer our newer racers who are listening to this. Good piece of advice from from dedicated racers regarding endless mountains. I want to come back to your experience there? Uh, you know, Rootstock Racing put that on big race, successful race back again this year. How did that experience stack up with your other multi day experiences? And and what do you have on the docket for this year? Yeah. Um, so first, uh, endless was my second expedition race. First being. Um, the most recent iteration of Untamed, um, actually on a team with uh, the aforementioned Sarah Goldman and the incomparable Glenn Gibson. Um, but uh, I'm going to stop for a quick story right there because you I forgot you were on her team. Fantastic story. We're in Pancake Paradise. If you remember the oh, part yeah. of the race where you were big, long section, my teammate and I, we were a two-person team. We got lost, ended up in the wrong state. That's not the story. We ended up um, getting the pancake paradise, making pancakes. I'm sitting there eating them, right? Because that's what you do. You're eating pancakes. And Sarah comes in. I hope she's listening to this. Sarah sat down with all of you and she said, listen, I've not lost my mind yet, but it's going to happen. So everybody has to get ready for it. And I thought to myself, there is a person who is communicating effectively with her team. I know that a storm is on the way. So I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. So, so I can't remember what day that was, but she she might have that it might have been later that night that she lost her mind. I can't remember. It was rainy, it was cold. We were biking and we were tired, and we decided. I would, th- this is one of those like funny stories with teammates, and just sort of, you think you're yeah, under that sleep deprivation. You think you're saying one thing and acting another, and we decided to pull under and an underpass and we were going to sleep for 30 minutes. You know, nobody was really, we weren't functioning well. We weren't making good decisions and we just needed a little bit of a, a recharge. Sarah was sleepy for sure. And so we're get, we're kind of all getting, you know, laid out and we're, we're under here. And I, I can't remember exactly how it played out, but Sarah started getting really mad at me. And I was kind of like laying some stuff out and being like, we're, we're going to sleep here. And she, she started getting really mad. And what we later figured out is she was getting mad at me because she thought I was telling her she needed to stand there and sleep. And eventually she was like, <laughs> I can't sleep standing up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm just putting your bike down. And then we're going to like lay down against this, uh, you know, concrete barrier. But it's just one of those, it was one of those funny stories of uh, I think that that was her momentary. And then we, we worked it all out and 
we all got our 30 minutes of sleep and everybody felt better. And I think the rain stopped. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to her uh, sleeping face down with her, her, her trekking poles in her hand. Laying on the on the top of the rock. There's a, Sarah, I hope you're out there listening. And Sarah, I hope you're back racing. Races are better when you're in them, Sarah. So thanks for being yeah, the object we, of our conversation here. here. We're just waiting for Sarah to come back. And Glenn Gibson, if you're listening, Glenn, get both of you guys get your butts back here. There you go. The, the horn the horn has been sounded. They have to go back to adventure racing. Um, so that was on Team New England. Great race, a lot of fun. Uh, Grant Killian, please do it again. It would be fantastic. So you had you had Untamed New England, and then you had Endless Mountains as your second experience. What was the difference between the two races for you? Uh, you know, the it's, it, Untamed, it seemed like the scale of Untamed was just I- I- incredible. Like, you know, just the, the it, we, it was, it was essentially point to point and kind of meandering between two different states and um you know some of the uh, there was a, a trekking section that you know we ended up being on top of this mountain that overlooks this uh this lake um and just the the scale of it seemed enormous i remember actually the the final leg um <laughs> after uh, after getting in the kayaks and uh fighting the the uh numerous sleep that I think all of us experienced before we got into the, this large tidal channel. Um, but you know, once we got into that channel, it was, it was just massive and there were, there were commercial vehicles and a military base and just these enormous swells. And it was just, just, it, it felt, uh, it was just the scale of it. It was so cool. Um, endless was, was great. Uh, you know, it was, it was essentially starting and end in, in roughly the same place, but, um, you know, it, it's much more, hev- it was much more heavily wooded. Um, it had many of its own challenges with, oh man, I, I think of the, the water and, and a canoe with, uh, three men and, you know, some, some extra, uh, um, uh, extra, uh, baggage that, uh, contributed to a, a yard sale on the final leg, you know, to the <laughs> penultimate leg of the, of the race. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, um, two, two, like exceptionally run two exceptionally well run races, but just a really kind of different feel and, and look for, for both of them. Um, this year, Travis and, and myself and Eric are going back to, to do endless again. Um, so, uh, looking forward to that, but, um, and, and seeing what, you know, Brett and Abby have in store for us this time. Great. Great. great I think stuff. Pr- prior to endless, I had done two, four, uh, four day races. Untamed was four and then, uh, cowboy tough was four cowboy tough kind of turned out to be any, I would say even for us untamed was three and change, which almost seems like something you can like, ah, I can stay awake for 72 hours basically. And then just a few more. And the five day challenge of endless mountains, I had a really hard time wrapping my head around that. And I, at check-in, I even said that to Brent. I said, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm strong enough or fit enough, you know, ready for this. And it's just that, that fifth day, like I got to go all the way through the fourth day. And then most of the fifth day, you know, you don't really know how it's going to time out. And I remember Brent telling me, he said, you know, the first three days are hard, but after that, they kind of all just become the same. 
Right. Well, that's always you the know, rule. And the, the rules: if you make it through the first three, after the third day, you can race for for fifteen days if you had it. It's getting through that third night. That's the yeah. hardest part. And it was absolutely right. You know, I think I surprised myself, and I was also nervous about sleep. You know, I can, I'm pretty good on sleep; isn't always my issue. You know, everybody has their moments, but uh, I just thought this was something I couldn't comprehend. Uh, and it turns out. Uh, it, that wasn't the worst part, you know, and it, overall I enjoyed it enough to, to want to come back. I think we all agreed we were not going to race as a three person team and canoe together again. Cause that was like, I don't know, 30 hours or something in the canoe with yeah. the three of us and those low rivers. And that was awful. But, uh, this year it's all pack rafting. So that, that helps. And, uh, you know, we we're searching for a fourth. So if anybody's out there listening, here's a, my shameless plug where we're always like, we would love either Sarah to come back and race or, you know, another female racer who's looking, looking to get in and, uh, try expedition and, you know, or any racing where we're looking, looking for teammates to kind of round it out so that whatever the race is, we don't end up with three people in a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No matter what That's happens, please, not recommend you are. It. Right. The bar is very low. Keep it, keep a, keep a, make it to four people. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do agree with you. I, I would love to have, so my first expedition race was untamed new England and it, my race partner, Jimmy, and I talk about it. We'd love to have that race back. It was our first one, first time doing it. And I think that we, we left the course a little early. We had a rough start to the race. We had a real lot of challenges or we get some time cutoffs. And I think that we we took the easy way out at the end. And if if we did that race today, we'd have a far different experience. But that's the sport, right? The sport is that you get you change and you get better each and every time you do it. Um, so great stuff there. Want to talk a bit about a, a non-adventure racing adventure? I do want to come to your race directing this year. We're going to get to that. But you did the Pittsburgh to DC. You did the rail trail ride. Mm-hmm. Great thing for people to do if you if you live in the the Northeast, if you're on the East Coast of America, it's a very achievable adventure that. It's logistically, it's not that hard to do because there's trains and there's help. Talk a bit about that experience. Yeah, I'll start. It was, uh, we've got a group of, I can't remember, were there seven of us, seven or eight of us kind of decided, you know, somebody, Mike and Eric and I are always kind of looking for silly adventures along the way. We kind of, I aspire to be like you, Brian, with, uh, (laughs) you know, you string together some, some pretty great things, you know, just in your local area, whatever it is, you say, let's just piece of these things together and make it a long weekend or whatever it is. So I, I think Mike and Eric and I are pretty good in that vein as well. So we're always looking for something that's kind of a terrible idea. And we don't like, we mentioned we have families and juggling all that. We can't always take five days to do something. So we thought, let's just drive out there one night, spend a night in a hotel and then start riding and come back. And, uh, and that's what we did. And I will say the trail Starting in Pittsburgh, the uh, Greater Allegheny Passage of mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the Gap Cove, the Greater Allegheny Passage and CNO Canal, that is a beautiful trail. And that is a trail I would go back and do. Crushed gravel, nice grades. There's little spots you can go off if you choose to do that and sightsee. The CNO is, uh, and I'm, I'm probably a little tainted because that starts right here, basically in our backyard. So if I want to do gravel riding in Washington, D.C., I ride across town and I hop on the CNO Canal and I ride out till I can't stand it anymore. And I turn around and, and come back. So uh, but that challenge, it just seemed like something we wanted to do. We were I think we had moderate time goals and which we didn't end up meeting. 
uh, I don't know how important that was to, to too many people really, you know, as, as a goal. Um, but yeah, it was a fun challenge and just a, just one of those, those things we kind of did to look for something difficult to do. And then Mike decided he added a little extra challenge to it. Uh, yeah. So the, well, the whole, the whole, everyone's like uh, collective goal was just to, um, you know, the full pull, um, traditionally people will spend three, five days bike packing, uh, the route. Um, so that was, that was our way to, to amp it up and, you know, not, not, uh, initiate too many divorces amongst the group. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to be a little aggressive and, but not, uh, at the same time, not, uh, give up kind of all the time, all the good guy hang time. Um, so I, I committed to, to try and give a, give a go at the fastest known time between, um, Pittsburgh and, um, where is it? Um, it's out in Maryland, the word, where it turns uh, over to the CNO. Cumberland, Cumberland. yeah. Right. yeah. Right. And, that, so, and that's where the gap trail turns into the CNO, right? That's where that's the right. transition point is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I gave a go at the Pittsburgh, you know, the, the Great Allegheny Passage, uh, FKT, and, and um, got that. And so I, I tried to try to get grab some shut-eye and then kind of coordinate with the guys and had some hot, hot pizzas ready for them uh, when they rolled into to Cumberland. And well, we, What was the distance in time? Do you remember? Uh, I, I don't recall. Um, I'd have to consult my, what a great adventure racer statement. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I get the FKT and my own, right. FKT. I said it. What was it? How long? And I don't really remember. <laughs> I mean, it's adventure racing to a T right there, but it's approximately like 180 miles or something, right? 190 on that half of it. Yeah. Somewhere in there. We we did that in two and a half days. We got we we left Pittsburgh. We made it to um, Morganville. We stayed at Morgan Tool and Die, which was a, a a converted coffin factory made into a bed and breakfast. Most frightening <laughs> night of my entire life. And then we made it from there. The next day was like a hundred and sixty sixty mile day into Harper's Ferry, then Harper's Ferry into DC. So we did it in two and a half days, which is a pretty aggressive timetable. So mm-hmm. I've I've got it thanks to the uh, the miracle of, of modern internet and, and Strava. Um, uh, it basically eight hours and thirty five minutes to get Pittsburgh to Cumberland. What was the uh, what was the mileage? Humble brag. Um, I think I think Travis is right about one eighty. One eighty. Okay, yeah, great. And that's a great. And for those of you who are out there, at first two things: the idea of building together like a weekend adventure. One thing adventure racing does, and we see this with a lot of our of my teammates on Naira. They've taken their adventure racing skill set, the map reading, the gear, the preparation, the fitness, and they've they've pieced together these incredible non-adventure race adventures on their own, right? So that's a, a really it's a great thing to do. So one nice byproduct of it being an adventure racer, whether you race 24 hours or or multiple days or eight hours, whatever, you get into that mindset of what kind of adventure is sitting in my backyard. Like what can I do from here to go do that? And I think that that's one of the nicest outgrowths of the sport. That's one thing. And and the second thing is too. Is that you're able to t- the 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 gap CNO trail is very accessible for people in the Northeast. What a lot of folks do, and what we did, we parked our car at Union Station in DC. We boxed up our bikes. We took the train to Pittsburgh, stayed overnight, and then we rode back. Really accessible adventure, and a lot of stuff, things to stop and do along the way. Um, so great job on that. So your multi-day adventure racers, 
you are also you are adventurers you do things like this congratulations on the humble brag mike i liked how travis set you up for that yeah. so good job good job travis <laughs> being a buddy um it sounds like you're dipping your toe this year into adventure race directing talk to us a bit about that sure uh, so I'll, I'll start off there so you know travis and i um going back i don't know probably probably 10 years or so now have been uh going out to, to davis west virginia um, whether it's in the winter visiting white grass for, for some, uh, cross country skiing or, uh, uh, during summers and, and, um, you know, visiting Dolly Sods and, and kind of the Red Creek area. Um, and, and, and every time without fail, we, we kind of think to ourselves or out loud, you know, why, why isn't there a race here? This would be such a great place, uh, for an event race. And, um, so going back to fall last year, you know, I, I, I kind of personally got to the point where I, I just, I didn't want to keep talking about it. I, I, I felt like it was, it was time to do something about it. And so started uh, talking with uh, uh, Mark Harris and, and, and Travis about, um, you know, kind of, if, if this would happen, you know, how, you know, uh, kind of the hypotheticals of, you know, is this something we could do together and, and, and all that. And then finally this, this spring, um, I don't know, something, something just bit me. And I, I, I talked to Mark and, and, you know, kind of brought <laughs> like Travis, all right, we're, we're, we're doing this. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, the name we have for it is, is the almost heaven adventure race will be 24 hours. Um, uh, start finish in, in Canaan Valley, uh, the Canaan Valley in, in West Virginia, uh, at Canaan Valley state park resort. Um, you know, I, uh, part of it is just the, the kind of uh, personal desire to, to kind of just build something. Um, I also have, was born in West Virginia. So I've always felt uh, a kind of a connection to, to that state. And, you know, based uh, on our time there, it's it's got great rivers throughout the state. Just you know, it is it is the mountain state, so uh, lots of lots of good uh, Appalachian uh, elevation, um, and then a, a lot of a lot of gravel uh, trails and, and mountain bike trails are available as well. So um, the the uh, the location is is fantastic. We uh, went with our families there um actually last fall uh and the same basically the same weekend that uh, we'll be hosting the race this year and uh october 6th and you know just we uh, all of us got up and hiked up and and had this vista over these valleys and, and just the whole area was covered in this this technicolor blanket and so um you know the the region is beautiful enough at, at any point, but this is, that'll be the peak bloom, uh, or, or peak foliage rather for, uh, for those mountains. So, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be a, a beautiful and, and, and terrific challenge we've got to lined up for everybody. You know, they, West Virginia is like, you know, they almost have an adventure race that's spot on. You know, I have a lot of connection to the state. My son's a, a graduate from the university there. Um, and I agree with you that October in West Virginia is an amazing time to be in that area and to do that race. Um, if from a 24 hour perspective, and I know that you're still designing and building the course, what disciplines will you be including in the race? 
Uh, it's going to be paddling, mountain biking, trekking. Very nice. Um, Very, okay. Yeah. And so, and so for the newer racer out there, now that we're looking at our watch and this episode is going to come out, hopefully March of 2023, that definitely gives a newer racer the chance to get themselves together, to have some shorter races this year, and then dive into a longer race in October, which is really the perfect time because once October passes, then all of a sudden you get more towards the winter and then the race season shuts down. So it's a really nice late season race for somebody who wants to level up their racing. Um, how have you found the race directing experience so far? What's the most challenging part? Uh, you know, the, uh, talking with, uh, talking with some of the, uh, officials, um, has uh, been very, they've been very open, but then, you know, one, once uh, push comes to shove or, um, you, know, you actually submit those, those permits, that's, um, things don't quite move as, as quickly as, or as smoothly as, uh, you know, one, one would expect. So that's just, uh, that's something that I'm trying to, to come to terms with is just to kind of let, let things run their course. Uh, you know, my preference would be, you know, I submitted it, it's back within a week and, and I've got all the permits taken care of and we can focus on, on other logistics, but, um, so at this point, I, I just have a little uh, uneasiness knowing that this is, is still out there. But and, and, you know, Mark is talking me off the ledge. Uh, he's like, this is this is totally normal. Um, you know, this is to be expected. So um, I'm just coming to terms with that. But, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm excited more than anything. Um, we're, we're actually heading out there this weekend. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to um, uh, picking apart, uh, some, some, some places and, and finding some good checkpoint locations and, um, you know, get ready to get after it. It's a, it's a great experience to, to, to build a, to build a race and to design something for new, for newer racers. So thank you for doing that. And for those of you who are listening, there's, there's, we're, we aren't taking our private jets to our, our mountain villas. Like this is a, la- a labor of love, right? So thank you for doing that. Travis, what do you think is an aspiring race director? Uh, I think I mentioned to you a little before we were on air. I'm kind of getting swept up in the uh, in the wake of Mike's hard work here, uh, but I'm also heading out there with him, hopefully to do some scouting and uh, this weekend. But I do I agree. Just dealing with all the entities and the landowners and finding out, I just go out there and I find a beautiful spot and I think this is where I will place a checkpoint. And well, it turns out you can't use that because that area of the forestry is not open for events or or things like that. So there's, there's just surprising areas where I feel like when I'm out there on my own hiking, you know, I can, I can do whatever I want, but when it comes to to planning an event, there's other sort of concerns and, you know, it may not be the forestry. It might be a lumber company. It's not a lumber company. It might be a coal company, even though the coal company is not mining there anymore. You know, it's, it's just landowners and, and things like that. But I have a little experience planning triathlon. There used to be a couple of triathlons here in DC and I was pretty heavily involved in that. And that felt much more corporate, I think, than adventure racing is. But I do know there is a lot of, it's kind of some leaps of faith and you, you know, these permits are going to come through and you know, the paperwork's going to clear, but uh, it is, it is stressful when you're, you're coming, you know, brand new into this and people are signing up now and, uh, you know, you're now we've got sort of our names are on the line to put on a spectacular event and we're committed to that. 
let's get everybody else on board. And I, I think that'll feel like a challenge until it's done, but I'm confident also that it's gonna, you know, it's, it's gonna shape up into something really spectacular. I always maintain that adventure race directing is another form of adventure racing. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to just the scouting and, and the get out, getting off trail and using that as training and, and finding new spots and, and that, that sort of thing. So absolutely. My other plug for the area is we, uh, we're starting and ending at Canaan Valley Resort State Park. There's nearby is Blackwater Falls State Park, which we're intending to use part of that. That's just a, a spectacular waterfall. A lot of times I think of venture racing, unless you're in a, a true adventure family, sometimes it, like my family isn't going to come out to an adventure race. They're just not. It doesn't appeal to them. There's not that much for them. This race, there is something to do for everyone. And I would recommend that the whole family comes, does leaf peeping. If you've got young kids, you can do short hikes into some spectacular overlooks. The, the Blackwater Falls, they're beautiful. It's just such a diverse, really unique spectacular area. So what you're saying is, is that you could, that very often you go to an adventure race, you leave and you're in the woods somewhere for a weekend. But you're saying a family could follow behind mom could go race dad could keep an eye on the kids while they go they spend the time in the area and then when the race is over they can meet up with the parents afterwards and off they go that's a really yeah. good point to make out that it's a, it's, a, it's a family friendly environment that's really good because very often that doesn't really happen and that's that's a great point i have to tell you that the west virginia park system if, if you can get there anybody who's out there listening get the west virginia check it out so i agree with you i think that you're 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 putting a race together for the racer but also there's an experience for the family. You know, the dark, dark zone advocates for the newer racer. I'm assuming that if a newer racer is listening to this podcast and is curious about the race, they could reach out to you and you could talk with them about the supports that might be out there for newer racers in terms of the course. There's, you can't get into mandatory versus the optional checkpoints, but if someone is newer to the sport, can they feel comfortable reaching out to you to talk about their fitness for the race? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. You know, it, we, I mentioned just kind of, the times we've gone out there, but between uh, a few a few different uh, tries at the the gravel race up Spruce Knob out there, um, uh, our, our kind of personal recreational visits, you know, there's there's something for everyone, and and yeah, if 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 anyone's interested and um, kind of getting a feel for the area, um, I'll speak for Travis and saying we'd be more than happy to. Uh, point them in the right direction and mark mark and adventure enablers has i mean it's a history like it's just good to grow the sport and he knows that more than anything more than anyone and so there will be challenges for navigate for the navigating studs and stars and you know we'll have everybody out there uh but there's also it will make it accessible to racers i mean i i'm actually I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this area i love going i will go out every weekend and my my wife it's about three hours from Washington, D.C., and she doesn't like that long of a drive for a short weekend. And, uh, um, you know, but it's just such a beautiful area that uh, I want people to come out and experience it. I want them to enjoy the race, but I want them to discover this area as a place that they'll come back. It's just year-round fun, basically. You know, skiing, hiking, world-class mountain biking, world-class gravel waterfalls you've, you've really got it all and it's, it's a special place and that's what i'm excited about for this event is just sharing that area with more people once again event tracing ethic kind of goes into our, our, our regular lives we want to share what we love with the rest of the world and so I, we thank you for doing that being an event race director is a, is a big challenge 
obviously that's taken up a lot of your time and those fountains is around the corner down the road. What are your dream races? What are your big events? What do you want to go tackle? Immediate. I don't know if it's a, you know, kind of a quote unquote bucket list one, but um, you know, coming up uh, one of the things we have this year, um, we, and, and more on a personal level, um, me and my son are doing the spring bloom race again, that uh, um, the uh, broad, uh, broad run, uh, Alan Wagner, great stuff. Yeah, it's a great exactly. Race. Um, and and my son uh, made me promise to to tell the the listening audience here that he's seven and this will be his third year in a row doing it. So he's uh, he, he's got um, I think he's got a little bit of the adventure racing bug in him uh, already. So I I'm excited. Um, you know that, that I think it's going to be more fun for for me than than for him. I just uh, love to see the excitement that he gets out of that and kind of being outside and challenging himself. I, uh, we, I, I mentioned the type two fun earlier and, you know, he, he, he definitely gets it. So it's, it's kind of great to see that, uh, um, that's kind of these, these type, type of activities have resonated for him. Um, beyond this, I, you know, I, I would like to do some type of international race. Um, I haven't quite pegged one. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, I that, that's something I like to do with some type of destination expedition race um, that that holds some interest for me. But uh, I guess all options are on the table. And, and that's one thing we're seeing now. If you look at the RWS series that's going on, the races that are going all over the world. Like right now, Malarca is a, is a major race going on down in Brazil right now. Uh, you know, um, November in Mexico. Uh, I'm going to have the uh, it's called La, La Ruta Madre. I'm having the race directors come on in a few weeks to talk about their race. So from an international perspective, there's a lot of big races out there. Faroe Islands this year, a lot of stuff. Iterra is taking a bit of a year off, but as Iterra light, so there's a lot of really good stuff out there. Travis, how about you? You can wave a magic wand. Big race. Where are you going? Uh, you know, I tried to wave my magic wand to get into Unbound XL this year. I had I grew up in Kansas, and I, I've, I've done uh, Unbound, the 200-mile version, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go a little bigger. I did not get into the lottery, and so now, now I – I'm just kind of fantasizing about big bike adventures, you know, just things that I can kind of do self-paced. And there's a, uh, the, uh, trans Virginia gravel route goes from Washington, DC down to Damascus, Virginia. That's supposed to be great. TVGR must a, be fantastic. Yeah. If I could wave a magic wand and do that, this and come up with a free week, I would do that this year. I don't know if it'll happen. Um, I'd also like just to kind of go piece together something like a, a five day, you know, 500 mile route somewhere out West, you know, just big sky federal, you know, land managed lands mm-hmm. and, you know, just, just kind of get, get out there. So we'll see, it may not happen this year with, with endless mountains on, on the docket, but, uh, I retire from the Navy and most likely four years. And I'm kind of targeting doing the tour divide the mm-hmm. year that I retire. So the next couple of years, I want to kind of gear up towards doing things to make sure that I, could spend 20 or 30 days alone on the bike, uh, at least try to knock off some five or five or seven day trips on my own, see how I handle it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think next to the uh, the adventure racing, bikepacking really is a, a sport that really jumps out at me. Bikepacking Roots is a really good resource. I'll put them in the show notes as well as bikepacking.com is a very good adventure cycling mm-hmm. association. We're blessed that there's so many resources out there. I will tell you that the, the, uh, the, the long weekend three, four day route that's on very, is Vermont XL. Vermont, you know, north to south, 300 plus miles. Great course. Um, Ted King has done a lot of work on it. Really good 
stuff to do. As soon as I get a window for that, you know, Travis will go together. We'll leave your car at the south end. I'll drive my car to the north end and off we go. Or we'll get, we'll get yeah, someone call, to drop us off at the I north bet. end. Exactly. I love Vermont. Vermont yeah. is such a beautiful state. Yeah, that's that Vermont X. As soon as I get a window, I'm going right for that. I, I'm looking forward to that. It's a really good thing. Um, it, you know, we've been very generous over an hour, guys. Very generous with your time. Want to give you a chance for some closing thoughts, um, Mike? Let me start with you. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I think we touched on kind of per- personality and vulnerability and stuff. You know, it, it the adventure racing has it just aligns it dovetail dovetails well with my one of my personal credos, which is, uh, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, I, it, it, it's been, it's been great that, uh, kind of individually, I found something like this, but also, um, to, to be able to interact and exchange ideas with, with the community. Um, you know, it's after the race, um, it's like everyone is is cheering everyone else on still you know even during the race like i, I don't know any time that we um encounter another team on the course and and don't say you know hey and and you know how's it going and and you know it's you know there's there's competition but there's also a genuine interest in in um wanting everyone else to to do well and, and have a good time and um so that's you know that's that's what i really appreciate out of the community i um Thank you, Brian, for for having us on and and uh, spending some time here. So uh, just appreciation of love. Thank you. Before we go to Travis, I just want to talk. You you touched on something that's important to the dark zone. I want to say out loud is the, the the dark zone, which is a labor of love. Right? We we enjoy doing this very much and having conversations about the sport is great. And I think what it boils down to for me is that the people that I come across as a result of the sport, their behavior on the course right? Cheering each other on and carrying on. And the way they treat each other, they support each other off the course makes me want to be involved in the community and talk about the community and the kind of people that we are. Because I, I think overwhelmingly, um, overwhelmingly, we bring a sense of perspective that a lot of people benefit from, whether they're adventure racers or not. And so I, I appreciate you calling out the amount of support that you see on the course and how well we treat each other. If I didn't like the people who I raced with, I wouldn't want to talk about them. So, so Mike, thank you very much for that. Travis, what do you think? Take us out. Yeah, I'll double down on the people and just, uh, you know, a couple of experience meeting people like you that gives us this opportunity to, to talk and bring our story. Uh, hopefully some people will benefit and enjoy it. Um, but even out on the race course last year, we had a moment at endless mountains where we came across bend racing, who's really at the top of American adventure racing. Right. And they were taking a quick break and having snacks. And sometimes you think, Oh, this team's going to be, we shouldn't bother them. They're super intense. They're trying to win. And they were just like, Hey guys, what are you doing? And they're like, where are you headed? And they gave us, they, we were going sort of in, in opposite directions on this big trekking loop. And they, they gave us some quick beta on their experience and kind of helped us lay out our strategy and, uh, you know, told some stories and some jokes. And, and then, you know, we pack up, they pack up and they go their way and they go there. We go ours. Uh, but it was just such a, a nice moment of two, I think we're a competitive mid pack team or maybe, you know, front of the mid pack. I don't, I don't know how to describe this. We, but we try to be competitive and they're extremely competitive yet. You, you can take 
obviously over five days, you can find four minutes to be decent to each other and, and share some stories. And, and I just, I just love that about the sport. I could, you know, I could speak for hours on just little interactions I've had at different races along the way. And, and it's, it's fantastic. And I look forward to even more. Thank you, Travis and Mike, for your time today. We appreciate your stories and your experience. Good luck race directing the Almost Heaven Adventure Race. Listeners can find a link to the race in the show notes coming up this October 2023. Just enough time to train as it's only March 2023. So go get them. Special thanks to our sponsor, VJShoesUSA.com slash the-dark-zone. Check out VJ Shoes for their lightweight and sticky and grippy and wonderfully drainy shoes. Enter code DARKZONE20, all one word, DARKZONE2020, for a $20 discount on your purchase. And thank you again to our charity partner, Ascend Athletics, for all that you bring to young women in Afghanistan and Pakistan. We are proud to support your mission of developing leadership and community service in that part of the world. Listeners, thanks for being here. You have a lot of choice in how you spend your time, and we're grateful that you choose to spend it with the Dark Zone. To help us out, go like our Facebook page and head over to your platform of choice and rate, click, and like. Their algorithm likes that when people pay attention to podcasts. Spread the word. Thanks for being here, and good luck racing, and have fun training. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads, take me home. Yesterday